This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. You can still get a Cray from HPE. Will you be able to get an ARM from NVIDIA? It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with HPC Wire. I'm Addison Snell. That's Tiffany Trader. Tiffany, This Week in HPC, HPE, uh, revealed its new revised branding, and they have kept their promise to the supercomputing community preserving the Cray brand underneath HPE. That's right. HPE announced the HPE Cray supercomputer line. This is based on the Cray Shasta architecture. Uh, of course, HPE declared its intention to acquire Cray last May 2019 for $1.4 billion. And then they completed the deal uh, last September, so about um, nine months ago, 10 months ago. And the two big parts of this announcement are the, the liquid-cooled HPE Cray, uh, what we now know as the EX supercomputer, the HPE Cray EX supercomputer with EX uh, being their, their big nod to Exascale since Cray, of course, swept the three DOE Exascale awards. Um, I like the Shasta name, but if you point, I mean, as you've pointed out, you can only have so many, so many names to say. So, uh, I think, I think the EX is a, is a good brand. It was, it was a good decision. Um, of course, to keep the, uh, the Cray as well. We like that. Uh, this is a, this is the system that undergirds the U S plans for exascale computing, not just the first system, but the first three planned exascale systems. So, Argonne, Oak Ridge, and Livermore. Uh, it also reminds me, the EX also reminds me of uh, some of Cray's other two-letter naming conventions over the years with the, the uh, XT, the XK, the X1, the XD, XC, which we um, they, have, uh, they have sunsetted. Um, and then I thought it was kind of interesting, if you reverse the, the EX, you get XE. <laughs> which is another name for the uh, yeah the the Intel GPU also no, known um, by the codename Pontevecchio that is uh, slated to go into the Aurora system at Argonne although as we discussed on the last podcast Intel seven nanometer delays have uh, impacted the expected execution of that that GPU in the Aurora system but potentially we'll have we will have an EX with the the EX as the uh, the centerpiece. The, XE, the EX with the XE, see, it's, it's tough to keep it all straight. But. I've never been a fan of doing Cray brand names backwards. I didn't like the Yark Data Division as a brand when it happened. I like the product with Eureka just fine. But yeah, this is good news for people who are Cray fans that you'll still be able to see this Cray brand on the supercomputer lines with the HPE Cray supercomputers. And as I said in your article that you ran on HPC Wire, uh, that doesn't mean that this was an easy decision. HPE is a strong brand and it is a company that is good at branding. And what you would normally do with that is try not to have too many brands. So what is the brand that you're putting forward? And in most cases for enterprise computing level products, HPE is the brand that you want to promote. Now, Cray is a rare brand. Uh, Cray is something where you can just say one word, Cray, and it evokes not only the notion of a supercomputer, but also a lot of emotion that goes around supercomputing. And there are some really diehard, devoted fans. And this is the rare case where it does make sense to go beyond the branding rules in order to 
keep that feeling in the product line. Now, with regard to Shasta, as you said, that was a, a cool name also, and I'll probably still use it in conversation. Think of that now as more of a code name. By the time you have Shasta, if you called something HPE Cray Shasta, now that's got three names, and that's too many. Right, we can think of it as a Cray supercomputer, and it's underneath HPE. Calling it HPE Cray EX is already sufficient. That's enough brand names for uh, for one supercomputer. And then, never mind the fact that the individual installations always tend to get their own nicknames when they go in. Uh, you know, we'll have a, a Frontier, and we'll have an Aurora. Uh, these things are all already well enough named. Uh, uh, so uh, I'm sorry to lose Shasta as a brand name, but uh, but that's to be expected. Keeping Cray as a brand name here uh, is a big deal. Now, there are a few other components to this. The Slingshot Interconnect is still there with a the brand on it. That's now HPE Slingshot. That one doesn't mean as much to me because that's not really a, a product. It's more of a feature. Uh, that one could have gone away and I would have been okay with it. What do you think? Yeah, I think uh, I, I think that 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 makes sense. Uh, I think, um, but I think, as you said, it's definitely it's more it's more of a feature than a product. So, um, but you had a good read on the, the the cluster storage line. So we saw pretty much everything they did. They they put the HP Cray name in front of it. So it's HP Cray um, supercomputer, the software stack. But for the cluster storage line, they just went with the the Cray cluster Cray cluster store storage line this includes the cray store cluster store e1000 product but you had i thought you had a good read on this yeah that's the one that really surprises me where i think they've made all the right choices everywhere else calling it cray cluster store without hpe on it seems to to fly in the face of everything else that they're doing uh, whereas Cray is an iconic brand for supercomputing in general, I don't feel like the Cray brand arcs that well in storage. We just don't, uh, I, for me, it doesn't evoke the, the connotations of, uh, of, of massive uh, parallel storage uh, like it does with, with big compute supercomputing. And furthermore, my assertion has been that through this acquisition, Cluster Store has been something of a diamond in the rough that HPE could stand to really gain by broadening the appeal of Cluster Store, which is a former uh, Seagate product using Luster, and bring it into more of the enterprise in a, in a broader way than just supercomputing. That's where you would want the HPE brand not the Cray brand. So this is one where they've kept Cray and not put HPE on it. And in my initial take was, I would have done exactly the opposite. Take Cray off of it, take Cluster Store off of it. That's not getting you anything. And just call it HPE something something storage, whatever you want to call it, and start selling it outside, well, inside, yes, but also broader and outside supercomputing. So why wouldn't they do that? Uh, is HPE is... is uh, has shown that it's a strong branding company. That must have occurred to them. Uh, the only thing I can think of that would make it make sense is if they're thinking of spinning it back out. Uh, who knows? Maybe they've got a buyer for a cluster store and they want to keep a separate brand on that uh, so that they might be able to spin it out eventually. Right. It makes you think that if, if HPE had major plans for cluster store and competing at that high end 
that that leading end, end of storage uh, going up against DDN there, this would have been a good, this would have been the opportunity to emphasize the HPE brand and just simply slide that into their portfolio. Crate hasn't even been possession, it hasn't even been in possession of the brand for, for that long since they, they got it from Seagate. So yeah, that would have been an opportunity and it does make you wonder what their intentions are with with that uh, technology. Now, uh, as, other... you, as you pointed out, cluster store is, is uh, in line to be the storage for some of these large exascale supercomputers. So if they are going to spin that out, who would take it? DDN is certainly a, a possibility. What about Intel? Could you imagine Intel getting more firmly into the uh, storage game with a product like this, having already been in and out of luster, but they do have uh, Optane and the NVMe side. They have Deos. Theoretically, Intel could become more of a storage provider with an acquisition here. Yeah, it could be an an opportunity to emphasize uh, for them to you know to work on something they think they can they can win and succeed at you know and uh, take attention away from some of the other parts of uh, their portfolio right now. Um, and then the other the other element here with the the HPE Cray line is just what they're calling the HPE Cray supercomputer. So that's the other side of this uh, what we used to call the so the uh, the liquid cooled side was the mountain the, the internal naming and then the the air cooled side was uh, the river. So this is the the more the air cooled side. So this one combines the Cray Shasta air cooled cabinetry in a standard 19 inch rack with the Apollo, the HPE Apollo 2000 Gen 10 plus chassis. And, uh, and you know, let's get into the processor side of that. These are both of these, the, the Cray, HP Cray supercomputer and the HP Cray EX supercomputer currently as of launch right now, all, all using uh, AMD processors. Uh, that That's what they are shipping, the, selling these with right now. So only available with AMD processors currently um, they will have the, the, a, uh, the, on the GPU side, they will have the A100 GPUs going into several systems, but including Perlmutter at NERSC. I don't know if we know what those actual board configurations look like, but like I said, currently right now, just, uh, just selling them with the AMD second gen Epic Rome uh, CPUs, um, and, but we do know that they do that you know the, the, the diversity of, of choice here is a big focus of these systems so we can ex certainly expect uh, lots of different configuration choices uh, coming up you know Aurora is the um, you know the plans for Aurora is uh, Intel CPU sapphire rapids uh, with uh, Intel GPU and then the plans for the other Exascale systems are AMD, AMD, AMD CPUs with AMD GPUs. We could also con conceive of them uh, dropping, um, you know, ARM ARM CPUs in here. Uh, I did know, I did note though that currently there's no option, and this is big. It's I think this is a really big deal to be launching a major supercomputing uh, line here. But there's there's no option for an Intel chip inside of the HPE Cray supercomputers right now. And this is, I, I believe, because uh, Intel doesn't have a PCIe Gen 4 chip right now. Uh, and that would be, that is required for the slingshot uh, compatibility. And the first slated PCI Gen 4 server chip is I just referred to as Sapphire Rapids, which isn't due out until the second half of 2021. So it may be a, a little while before we see uh, Intel chips in inside the HPE Cray supercomputers, which yeah. is un unusual. 
I, I think absolutely you've got a really good read on that. Uh, now, going back to Shasta, there's that uh, brand name turn code name now. I, I think you, that you've hit that right on, that uh, the, the processing component flexibility is one of the uh, key features of that Shasta or uh, Slingshot Interconnect, uh, the Shasta architecture. Um, and, and we will see all of these things, but you're right, the PCIe Gen 4 is critical. And so we'll be waiting for, uh, presumably waiting for Sapphire Rapids and the A64FX. Presumably we get other sort of uh, ARM chips in there, such as, uh, such as a, a Marvell, Cavium, uh, Thunder X3, uh, possibility. You can plug in FPGAs. You can plug in a lot of things, but but it is noteworthy that uh, that we don't have an Intel part going into that supercomputer right now. It's uh, rare that uh, that the non-Intel chips will have such a head start. Now we're talking about ARM, and uh, this week in HPC, there's uh, we don't normally talk about stories that haven't happened yet, but this one is so mu much rumored that uh, I think we need to talk about it. There's uh, uh, the possibility that NVIDIA is uh, shopping for the ARM division now out of SoftBank. SoftBank had acquired ARM's ho ARM Holdings previously and might now be spinning it back out. And uh, it's rumored that NVIDIA is looking to uh, to buy that division. Yeah, so uh, two, three weeks ago, we started hearing reports come out. I think Wall Street Journal and Bloomberg um, putting out some reports that SoftBank was seeking a buyer for ARM and that NVIDIA had, had uh, stepped up and shown interest. As you said, they uh, the, the SoftBank group acquired ARM back in 2016 for $31.4 And at the time, they they strongly hoped to make ARM the centerpiece for their, their investments. Uh, the leader of SoftBank at the time called it his uh, most important acquisition uh, ever. But um, in the in the interim years here, the the sales and growth and profit haven't been as strong as they hoped, and so yeah, they're looking they're they're looking for a buyer now. And Nvidia, meanwhile, they have increasingly been building up this this full stack with the software, the libraries, compilers, AI frameworks, and of course the GPUs. And now they're 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 turned up. Into uh, bona fide systems makers to makers too. So the only thing that was really missing was the uh, a, a CPU and a, and a server CPU. I mean they they do do they do do some SOCs on the embedded and automotive side, uh, but um, a full a full stack here. And so uh, and also of course the Nvidia has been working has really seen a lot of potential in ARM. They've been working to quickly bring ARM CPUs into their into their architectures and. Uh, have announced their intention um, to make ARM a full citizen in, in the processing architectures. So, um, yeah, so definitely, and NVIDIA is interested in here. Um, what, do you, what do you think about uh, uh, it being a fit for them? And, and what, what do you think their, their, uh, the logic is behind their intentions? Well, we had previously said in our vendor profile on NVIDIA that there is a potential fit with ARM. And in fact, uh, NVIDIA needs to be partnering with ARM as you look forward, because both Intel and AMD have their own GPU plans, and uh, Intel, uh, rather Nvidia GPUs, and as much as they're uh, the dominant GPU in this space, they're still a coprocessor, and therefore they need someone to play with on the CPU side, and they're rapidly running out of dance partners. 
So to get an ARM uh, GPU partnership for NVIDIA seems critical to uh, future planning. Now, whether or not they need to acquire ARM from SoftBank to do that, that seems like a very big move. And uh, in the article in HPC Wire, I called the situation precarious, and I would stand by that. Do you really need to do the all-in acquisition versus some sort of, say, preferred licensing uh, mechanism? The, to the extent that NVIDIA is increasingly competing with their own customers, particularly in, in acting as a server vendor or even with a server reference architecture, that's always a hazardous strategy. But on the other hand, you know, NVIDIA has been doing nothing but hit home runs every time it steps up to the plate. Uh, they've got a five-year trailing 85% compound annual growth rate to their market capitalization. Not in revenues, but in market capitalization, which makes them now the, the most valuable publicly traded chip company out there. And AMD, by the way, has been more than doubling every year uh, over the last five years. So, so these two companies both have these extraordinary growth rates to their market capitalization. It's worth remembering this isn't the NVIDIA from 10 years ago or five years ago. They've got a, a lot of market strength here. Now, no coach would advise you try to hit a home run every time you come up to the plate, but this is what NVIDIA has been doing and it's been working for them and they're going to swing from their heels and, and try to hit another home run. The other thing that I would think about this, by the way, though, is that really I think all of the moves in this space now are dominated, dominated by the hyperscale market. There are really 20 companies, 20 customers that, that matter right now, that even matter. And if NVIDIA is looking at the possibility of preferred licensing to a hyperscale company of an ARM license that will work particularly well in conjunction with NVIDIA GPUs for things like machine learning and artificial intelligence. Even one of those companies, say a Google, a Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Apple, one customer there becomes a market maker if NVIDIA is just licensing ARM to them for, for the hyperscale companies to make their own CPUs to go together with NVIDIA GPUs. I think that's the rationalization that really makes the whole thing hum. Now, the, the price of ARM here is 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 one thing, and I, I don't think that's the that's the barrier here. They're looking at buying it for for really no more than SoftBank bought it for. Uh, a long time ago, so it becomes a, a competitive analysis of where does it where does it work? And I think in hyperscale, if they think they can sell it to a couple of hyperscale companies, that's what would really do the trick here. Yeah, I think your your point about wanting to sell that licensing into the hyperscalers is really key. I'm sure a lot of people's first questions when when they saw this this new this uh, news about um, the, 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 the interest here is why, why wouldn't NVIDIA just uh, do some um, preferred licensing, uh, develop their own ARM chip or, or, or even buy a, an ARM chip maker, you know, Marvell or Ampere. Uh, so, um, but now what we're seeing with the hyperscalers developing their own chips, they're not developing products that they sell, they're developing their own, their own chips. And this would, this would give uh, NVIDIA way, a way to, um, to sell, uh, you know, to sell into that. So, um, I think I think that that's a, that's a great point. Yeah, and if if Nvidia is saying to to Amazon or Google or Microsoft, we're going to help you get rid of Intel, and you're going to just design all of your own chips and be able to do what you want with them. That's a huge expenditure on the hyperscale side, and potentially quite dangerous for Intel if they might lose those uh, those customers. So it's also a way 
for NVIDIA itself to protect against that potential loss because, you know, potentially if they're they're licensing their own arm and building their own arm and they're, they're figuring out a way to use that for inferencing or even training, you know, those are GPUs they might not be buying, right? So it, it protects against its revenue stream even further. So uh, that, um, That's right. And I think it's potentially easier for one of the hyperscale companies to make its own ARM CPU than for it to make its own GPU. So if NVIDIA can essentially uh, dig a trench or a moat around its GPU business by licensing an ARM CPU to the hyperscale vendors, that's where NVIDIA's meteoric growth has come with over the last five years. So one one outstanding question here is here is uh, will this will this stand up to regular regulatory review? Um, uh, I, I don't think it's I think it's it's possible. I mean I don't, it's not my expertise. I think um, they have a greater shot at it than say Intel. I mean because Intel could be a potential suitor here, um, but I think that that would be a tougher regulatory hill. Um, you know Intel of course was rumored to be courting Mellanox at one point, which Nvidia Nvidia scooped up. Uh, we have some we have some other potential names I, I've seen in, in the, the various reporting may, might be interested uh, to, to greater or lesser degrees. Some other names I've seen bandied about are TSMC, Foxconn, Samsung, Apple, Qualcomm. I think the last report I said said maybe maybe Apple what what said they're not interested. Um, of course, as you said, uh, poss possibly upsetting. Um, I mean, let's let's face it the the community reaction, I, I would say, hasn't been super great on this. I mean, I don't, I don't think people are particularly enamored of, of this idea. Many of NVIDIA's partners licensed their own uh, ARM ISA, um, so this could, could potentially have an NVIDIA competing against its competitor, um, its, its customers. Uh, so then you'd, you'd see the, you know, how th would things be structured, and you know, if they could truly set this up as a, as a separate operating um, division, you know, that would answer some of those questions. But if this went through, it would really complete, uh, it would seem to complete NVIDIA's vertical integration strategy that they have been leaning more and more into as they've they've amped up their their system game with, with the DGX, with the, the super pods, um, the HGX baseboards that they're selling. You know, they, in the past, they've been a little uh, circumspect or cagey with regard to how they they message as they've increasingly got, got started selling systems you know they they would try to back off that and not not wishing to overtly threaten the the OEMs that they work but but I've, I've seen a shift in that messaging just in the last uh, six 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 to nine months here you know where they're more and more open about their their plans around and around vertical integration now that saying that saying that phrase openly um, and at the same time emphasizing their their componentization the the core building blocks and and scalability uh, another interesting thing is that they've they've increased at least with this latest launch the the Ampere A100 launch, I've seen a tightening up of uh, how they're they're controlling this, the sales of the, the GPUs into the channel. So at least currently, they're they're not selling the A100 SXM, the NVLink GPUs directly. Uh, partners can only purchase those as part of um, either directly through the they can buy the DGXs in um, in an eight eight GPU arrangement, or they can purchase the uh, GPUs as part of the HGX baseboard, so the minimum buy-in there would be 
would be a four pack. And and then the PCA the PCIe cards they did announce that those can be purchased. Uh, but um, yeah, doing more do it and, and doing more with ARM for Nvidia would would also give it insurance. You know, potentially its its main reasoning here against a future Intel or AMD. Um, products that come out as, as we see Intel and AMD, you know, both putting out, both looking to put out um, GPUs, um, you know, in greater, greater, greater competition there. So I think, I think that, uh, that it would also be, would be top of NVIDIA's minds is, uh, is protecting its revenue streams on several fronts. Yeah. Well, I mean, addressing those couple of points with regard to v vertical integration, that does seem to be a big part of NVIDIA's strategy now is to capture more of a share of wallet or share of total budget. This is something that Intel has struggled with in its attempts to do the same thing. Uh, but uh, NVIDIA, if they can do it, especially on the hyperscale side, might see more success, but it is something that gives people a lot of concerns. Uh, as for uh, the community uh, response to that vertical integration and the potential acquisition of ARM, uh, I think the entire GPU buying HPC uh, universe doesn't matter as much in this case as say the top three or four hyperscale customers in terms of just the overall potential volume that NVIDIA is looking at here. And that brings me to, back to the final point around regulatory issues. I, I don't see an issue on the regulatory side with regard to NVIDIA's acquisition of ARM. I think that'll go through. The bigger regulatory issue is how governments start treating those hyperscale companies. So we've already got in the U.S., uh, some of the top CEOs uh, testifying before Congress. They're getting increasing scrutiny in Europe. Um, there's just unprecedented power and concentration going into those uh, hyperscale companies right now and what their futures are from public perception and regulatory issues is, is really what's going to drive the market opportunity there. And one final element here that bears mentioning is the fact that a lot of international stakeholders, for example, Japan and the EU, have been looking to ARM-based products for technological independence and for for independence away from uh, the the U.S. vendors. So uh, we'll see what happens there. But this this could boost this could boost uh, the Risk Five development. Potentially. Yeah, potentially. It's a really good point. So it's a story that we'll have to keep tracking. Uh, you've got good coverage for our listeners in HPC Wire. Thanks for helping wrap up the news and thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.